Welcome to Travel with Stephanie Abrams. I am delighted you're with us this hour. If you've missed any part of today's show, which you may have already done, make sure you go to sabrams.net, S-A-B-R-A-M-S.net. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good stuff for you to know about. Um, and archived everything, podcast everything, both radio, TV, got it all. Photo galleries. And remember, we're a work in progress, so we're always adding more, um, especially since this is a rebuild of our once fabulous website that won an award every time I enter the contest. Um, you know, a fabulous award for best website. Because we got hacked and I mean, 2020 wasn't rotten enough. We had to get hacked and brought to our knees in uh, August last year. But, you know, we've been working diligently to um, recreate everything that was important and we're still working at it. But there's a lot of really good stuff there. So it's not a waste of your time to drop in sabrams.net. You know, um... I'm constantly being introduced to, referred to, and stumbling upon people myself that I think would be of interest to you. And one since such incident happened last week, and we rearranged a bunch of stuff so that we could squeeze in an interview with someone who has um, a really interesting perspective on travel partly coming out of his own interest in traveling, but also propelled and motivated by what he does in the business world. And, you know, we talk about a term I invented that I refer to as intentional travel. And that's when, you know, you're on a mission, whether the mission is some personal interest or some public service, or philanthropy, or something to do with business, or family, whatever it is, you're, whatever you're doing has a duality of purpose. It's not just, gee, I need a break, where's a nice place to go and veg out? And so I learned about a fine fellow who has been learning a great deal from his travels in his business mission to the point that he's also written a book related to his business mission that have the imprint of his travels upon it. And the best part is I got introduced to this fine fellow by our senior producer, David Isby who, as luck would have it, went to school with this fellow years ago, and they've managed to keep in touch and whatnot. And if you write a book, you're going to want to dig out every one of your old friends and get them on the social networking bandwagon to get out the story. Well, lucky for him, David Isby is in radio, and luckier for him, since much of what he talks about and was in pursuit of in the business world required travel on his part, not only in the U.S., but overseas as well. And um, 
David and I will go into our 20th year working together in June. We started working together in June 2002. And we started the first show aired the first Sunday in July 2002. So we will celebrate our 19th birthday and start our 20th year on the air the first Sunday in July this year. And we've managed to let each other live. I mean, that's even more remarkable. But uh, David is a joy to work with uh, and uh, incredibly skilled and talented. And, I, you know, the biggest problem I have is blocking out time in his nutsy schedule to get him into chats with me on the air because he's busy in production all the time. So we're going to try uh, this year to get him back on the air with me more because I think you've almost forgotten the sound of his voice, and that's not a good thing. But in any event, he is um, always up to some kind of good mischief, and the newest good mischief was introducing me to Trent Romer and his new book that's going to come out in June 2021. And so you want to be on the lookout for it. And I want to be talking about it because we don't have to wait till the book comes out to talk about it. And you can put it on your must-go-and-get-this list. So we're going to do that. And we're going to start talking with Trent Romer right after this. Portions of today's show brought to you by Curacao, offering vacationers cultural experiences wrapped in history and charming traditional European architecture, a UNESCO World Heritage City on a southern Caribbean island with coves, beaches, and over 60 dive and snorkeling sites. Curacao, feel it for yourself. Visit curacao.com. On the line with me is Trent Romer. I love his movie star name. Uh, and he has written a book that uh, is at the intersection of his business interests and his need to travel as part of those business interests and what he has learned in the process uh, and enjoyed in the process as well. So welcome aboard, Trent. What is the name of your new book? Thank you, uh, Stephanie. Appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot and in, in your interest. The name of the book is called Finding Sustainability. Um, it's really a journey uh, about uh, the, uh, our business and trying to become more sustainable in the process. Um, I can give you a little background on our business, if, if it's okay to go into that. Yeah, well, I think you need to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are a um, 60-year-old custom plastic bag manufacturing firm. My grandfather started the business back in 1961. My father owned it for about 20 to 30 years, and now my brother and I own the business. My father's one of 11, and I have 32 first cousins, so we have a, a very, very large family. Um, and they were a tremendous source of dedication and loyalty um, and, uh, and labor uh, as the business grew. And increasingly, as we progressed, um, and about two, three years ago, um, the anti-plastic narrative really began to take hold, um, not only in society, but also sort of within me. I kind of, I didn't feel great about the end-of-life problem with plastics that we were seeing in our environment. So um, I uh, decided to embark on a journey to begin to learn uh, about what we could do uh, to solve that problem 
or at least to address it. And I kind of found, found myself at a crossroads uh, back in 2018. You know, to one side was this survival path where, you know, you could continue to make the same bags that you're making and use the same materials. The other side or the other path was more of a preservation path of what can I do now um, to, uh, to, to make a better future uh, and to leave future generations uh, in a good place. And I felt like I couldn't take both paths. Uh, you had to choose one or the other. And uh, what I chose to do was to take this journey uh, uh, towards sustainability, to try and learn more about it, where maybe I could do some of both um, and apply it to our own industry. So that journey really started two years ago. It took me to, to multiple places. Like? Um, and really the book is about that journey. Well, multiple places like where? So... Um, the, the first place I visited was um, a plastic-free supermarket in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, the the uh, supermarket uh, was full of compostable bags um, and uh, no bags at all or paper bags or variations of plastic. Um, so that, that was an amazing trip. And um, right after that, we went down to Brussels um, in Belgium. Uh, I went to a European strategy conference on this very topic. Um, and uh, in both places, we enjoyed a couple of days of leisure. We took bike tours in, in both places. So that my, my wife and I are, are big bikers, so that was so enjoyable. When you say bike tours, were they the kind that after you pedal, it kind of becomes motorized, or this was all, you know, human power? Yeah, so, so Amsterdam, as you probably know, there's, there's actually more bicycles than inhabitants or city inhabitants in Amsterdam. It's just unbelievable. You know why uh, they did that? Around. You know why they did that? I don't. Oh, I don't know how somebody didn't, you know, explain that piece to you. You know, um, there are a gajillion bicycles in bicycle racks all over Amsterdam. And if you want to get from one place to another and you don't want to walk or take yep. a taxi or some public form of transportation, you just take a bike, any bike. Just take the bike and drive it where you want to go and park it in the bicycle stand that's got an empty slot wherever you land up. And when you go, maybe you went to a museum, a cafe or, you know, your yep. hotel or whatever. And then when you're done doing whatever you're doing and you're ready to go to your next place, you come out, take any bike you want and go. And they did it because bike bicycle theft in Amsterdam was enormous. And in order to get rid of people stealing bicycles, the municipality came up with a system, let us populate the city with bicycles and bike racks and just go take a bike and get where you need to go and leave it wherever. But as a result, sure. as, I, as a result sure. there are people that are from parts of Eastern Europe who have found themselves in Amsterdam and want to go home and have taken a bike that turns up, oh. you know, five, eight hundred, a thousand miles away, often with flat tires that somebody oh. just lifted and took off. We're going to take a quick commercial. It's brilliant. The people in Holland, in, in the Netherlands, come up with such good ideas, not the least of which for many is their coffee houses which nobody goes to for coffee. We'll be right back. Oh, Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Stay with me.
It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. On the line with me is Trent Romer, who's written a book called Finding Sustainability, which has to do simplistically with saving the planet from refuse that A, we can't get rid of, uh, and B, winds up being a pollutant, uh, and or creates horrible problems. Um, I, by accident, uh, just the other day, Trent, I went to YouTube for something. And, you know, they're always coming up offering you, you know, you want to see this? You know, they give you the bunch of things they think you might be interested in. And one of them I literally couldn't watch because I'm just too squeamish. And anything that has to do with animals being hurt, I can't handle. I, I, you know, I probably can watch some terribly violent film where everybody gets killed and have, you know, less of a reaction to it being desensitized from so many visual <laughs> images. But to see an animal suffering makes me crazy. And this was a poor seal with a plastic straw embedded up its nose. And oh. somebody was trying to save it uh, at some rescue wow. center somewhere. And I'm, I mean, I was very happy to see somebody was you know, fixing up this poor seal. But those kinds of things drive me mad. And so I do my best, you know, to have my consciousness raised without dwelling on it and being completely depressed from it because that could happen to me. Right. <laughs> I right. once cried totally. for 200 miles because we passed a dog in the road that had been hit by another car or truck. And I, I, I just couldn't stop crying. It just so disturbed me. So, um, you know, but but we all need to be bringing some kind of sensitivity to what is happening on this planet. You know, there's um, a couple of guys who were surfers or divers or something who started an organization. They're always looking to sell their bracelets to raise money to clean up the oceans. I don't know if you've seen yep. their spot. You, when, when you see the visuals of the beaches they're cleaning up that are a, a natural dumping ground of the tide bringing in unbelievable megatons of plastic that's not disintegrating and is just filling up the oceans and interfering with the marine life. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I, I got funny i i'm i'm wearing a watch right now made from recycled plastics so it's it, the the band and a lot of the parts are made from uh ocean bound or ocean uh, plastics that they recovered from the ocean it's a super super neat company and one of the things that we've really bought into is if you're not buying recycled content you're not recycling um that was a term or a phrase that we picked up on a few years ago and it really brings you into focus is to say, when I'm buying recycled content, now the clothing company or the packaging company needs to request that recycled content, and they're starting to pull it through the system so that the processor um, who, is, who is recycling items has a market to sell it. So that, that is a really big element of, of where we're trying to get to as a society is to keep buying recycled content so there's the demand for it. So there's no such thing really as trash. It's really a resource um, to make something else. You know, that's such an important point you've made that I haven't heard anybody say before. 
So I, I, yeah, wa- well, I want to thank you for that. I wanted to tie that, Stephanie, into travel, because you and I had a, a discussion yesterday, and this is one story um, from one of the, the travel places that I went to that really made that connection for me, and I wanted to share that with you. I went to the Sustainable Packaging Coalition, we're members, and went out to Seattle, Washington for a week, and I stayed there for a week. And one of the things that we got an opportunity to do was to go on tours of local places that, that, were, more so, that were on a sustainable path. The place I visited was Century Link Field, which is the home of the Seattle Sounders and Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the stadium's a 72,000-seat 72, um, arena. When we walked in at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, we were the only 10 people in that place. And our tour guide for the 10 people um, that I was with, when we walked in there, um, he said to us, there are only two or three trash receptacles in the entire place. And I was thinking to myself, what? How, how is that even possible? Now, how is that so, even possible? Hang on, we're going to well, take a yeah. quick commercial break and come back and find out. How do you okay. have an enormous <laughs> arena with three trash receptacles? Stay with yep. me. We're going to leave you hanging on the cliff with this riddle. We'll be right back. <laughs> Stephanie Abrams' novel of secrets, lies, and conspiracies that ensnare the lives of ordinary people in a tightening web that all starts with rumors. Available at Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats and BarnesandNoble.com. Rumors by Stephanie Abrams, the perfect leisure time companion. Coast to coast with the most travel professionals and the best business and leisure travel information. Travel with Stephanie Abrams and on-air traveling companion David Isby. It's Travel with Stephanie Abrams. Trent Romer, author of a book that will be published in June 2021 called Finding Sustainability, left us hanging on a cliff. Uh, He went out to Seattle, Washington, Hi, all y'all out there listening on the radio stations that carry us. Um, And um, he went to learn more about how various places are dealing with uh, issues of what do you do with plastic and refuse that doesn't want to naturally break down and disappear. And one of the places he went was an arena in Seattle, huge arena. How many people would that arena have if it were full at a game? Yeah, it was a 72,000-seat stadium, outdoor stadium. And yet the tour guide who took you around told you there were only three trash receptacles in the entire arena. How is that possible? Yeah, so or something to that really, really low number. So obviously we pressed him on that question. We said, how is that possible? He said, well, the, uh, the stadium is filled with two bins, uh, all 
over the stadium. Uh, one is a composting bin and one is a recycling bin. So one of the things a stadium has an advantage of is they control the waste. When you come into a stadium, you get checked. You know, you cannot bring in things. So by them not allowing anything into the stadium, they then control what they give you. So anything they give you in the stadium, in the souvenir shop or the concessionary area, they control that. So they are giving you either recyclable items or compostable items. So there's such things as compostable packaging, compostable cups, compostable cutlery. Um, so when you're done, you're at the stadium, you have a burger or whatever, um, and you uh, go to dispose of those items, you can dispose of it in the recycle bin or the composting bin. There's only two choices. At the end of the stadium event, there's a composter uh, outside of uh, the Seattle city limits. They come and pick up the compost, and there's a recycler who comes and picks up the recyclers. Uh, the recycled, uh, the recyclable items. The really interesting part was for the composter, they will develop compost in 90 to 100 days under set conditions and whatnot. Uh, local farmers will buy compost from the, uh, the composter, and then the stadium will buy back vegetables from that farmer. So, you know, think about a French fry that you're eating at uh, in the Seattle and CenturyLink field that could have potentially been grown out of the compost you know from the um from the compost that was uh, in the trash bin you know a month earlier or two months you know, earlier. So and while that's a really it's fabulous but while that's it's a, not perfect but the circularity is just really hit home to me that you know the stadium's a very idyllic um uh, spot because they control the waste but it really locked into that circularity idea of all items yeah, but uh, you that, see, that's what we're really trying to do. Yeah, the imagery kills me. You know, I mean, I understand it takes fertilizer to help grow all kinds of vegetation that we eat, but it's not an image I want to dwell on. So. No, no, but it's it's a mindset of there's no there's no such thing as waste. That's really what we're all trying to do. There's no waste. Everything has a place. You know, you hear that term. I'm going to throw that away. Well. There's no such thing as a way. It has to go somewhere, right? So there's really only four places something can go. It can go to a landfill. It can go to an incinerator. We don't really want those. Or it can be recycled or it can um, be composted. We, there's really only two spots we want something ultimately to go in order that we can repurpose it into something else. So and let me ask you a question. Concepts. In, in, yep. your, in your travels, for instance, in traveling to Seattle, um, you mentioned something about a coalition of companies involved in an organization focused on sustainability yep. and whatnot. Do you see any governmental leadership uh, either coming from the very top or from the states or from the cities that would help somebody in the middle of of the country or on the East Coast or in the South or you know up in the Northeast somewhere? You know, having an opportunity who maybe isn't a member of that coalition, but could be changing the ways they're doing things if they even knew about it. How is the communication going on? Because I have to tell you, my nose is into all things related to communications. And this is, if I weren't talking to you, I wouldn't know about this. And I've got five radio stations in the Seattle, Tacoma, Bellevue, Olympia, Washington region. And, you know, even though I pay attention to what's going on, 
as best I can. Everywhere that we have radio stations, uh, places you know that I know we've got a big podcast audience, um, even places in other parts of the world where I know we have listeners that I'm looking at, what would they be interested in knowing about? Or what do they know that we don't know that we ought to know and we ought to share? Um, right. if, if, if you weren't coming on now, and, I, and you know the chain of events kind of divinely inspired, if you didn't go to high school with my senior producer, David Isby, we wouldn't be talking now. <laughs> so, guy, and yeah. this is, oh, he really is. He is not only a love bug, he is a stud muffin. Now, he is he's just wonderful. He's a member of the family. And so is his wife and children. I mean, they're all members of our family. Um, I think he was shocked that we save the Christmas cards they send out every year, which are those photographic things of the family. And we save them every year and line them up on our mantle along with all our other treasured uh, correspondence that we get from a unique group of people that we, I want displayed on our fireplace mantle. I was a shock to him to find that out <laughs> this year. But um, were it not for the fact that you contacted him and told him the mischief you're up to and, you know, is there any outlet for you to share your information, which led to me, we wouldn't be talking now. And And you have something of real importance to say. So my question, yeah. my question is, I, I like your question. Your question's really good. It's almost like when you look at this uh, whole problem that you're trying to solve is <clears throat> it's either top down or bottom up, right? So the top down says, okay, the government says you can't use plastic bags or you can't do this or this or whatever. The bottom up is what can I do? And I think for the longest time, Stephanie, I felt like um, this thing was too big for me to do anything about. You know, I'm a 70-person company. We're not this hulking, huge company. But over time, I thought to myself, it's too big to ignore. Like, we have to, we have to do something. And, you know, that's where I think all of us can say, all right, what can I do? And I think that's sort of the question you're trying to get at is, what can I do without the government? Now, I hope, you know, with the new administration, I'm hoping that we see regulations like, you know, by 2030, 25% of packaging has to be post-consumer recycled content or something along that those lines that'll push us in that direction. But some things that I think we can all do is, one is, I think we can all buy recycled content. When you, when you get a little bit more in tune with that, you can buy shirts and clothes and and watches and, and souvenirs with recycled content. Souvenirs um, for sure. Yeah. Souvenirs yep. is a huge plastics industry. Yep. I mean, so I think that's a big one. I think the second one is um, participate in a cleanup effort. We do one. It's called the River Keeper. It's the Hudson River where we um, there's about 30 or well, it's more like 200 different crews up and down the Hudson River in early May where you go down to the riverfront and then you pick up trash. And when you do that and within two hours you have a couple of bags full of trash, you really think to yourself, wow. Our society, I think, has a pretty good recycling and a pretty good waste um, management system. Think about a developing country that doesn't have one. You know, if they don't have the waste um, management systems that we have, how can't garbage and whatnot go into rivers? You know, when I'm down at the Hudson River and I can pick up a couple of bags full. So it really begins to, you start to think about that infrastructure of how do we get from thinking of garbage as something that's a resource 
and then how do we get that recycled into a position or a compost in a position where we can reuse it? So um, you had, in our off-air conversation, you had told me about how your company is creating bags that are compostable so they will, over time, actually break down and not just become a blight on the earth. But where else in your travels did you go? That had you not gone there, there's something really important, you know, that you learned because you went that you would never have known about or, you know, you might not have come to this idea on your own. Yeah, so it's just, it was almost serendipitous how all of this stuff just sort of lined itself up. You know, as I mentioned, I went to Europe, I went to that strategy conference, I I went to a week-long sustainability leadership at Harvard University, which I I got accepted to, and I was so thrilled to go. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, I went to Seattle, and that summer vacation that we took with our family really locked something in. We went to Yosemite Valley uh, in Yosemite National Park and spent eight days there, you know, and just being around in Mariposa Grove with those 200-foot sequoia trees that are 200 years old, being in Yosemite Valley and seeing those rock formations and realizing how long they've been there, how pristine things were, it just that, that, that um, thing inside you about preservation and future generations and people who have been here before you, it just has such a powerful effect when you can experience that um, and it makes you want to do something. And even if you're doing something small, it really, really does add up. I always think to myself, you know, improvements are made in fractions, right? You know, they're, for us, they're not made in huge jumps. Usually they're made in fractions. But when we can all add up these fractions, you come up with some real change. And that trip to Yosemite, I have a whole, we, we did a couple of hikes. They're just super powerful experiences. And so you saw that portion of it as the motivation for why it's so important to sustain this for future generations. Yeah, you got it. You got to do something right. And and when you go there and you go to places like that, and that's why I love these uh, the national parks, you know, the two others that I have spent some time with in my life uh, is is in Acadia National Park up in um, up in Maine. Ah, uh, yes. Haleakala National Park in Hawaii. And now the one in Hawaii, is that where the volcano is? Yeah. So what okay. we did on that one was we got a, a 3 a.m. wake-up call. Oh, you Lord. get into a van. Yeah, I've, There's I've, bikes I've on the it. back. You go up, you watch the sunrise on top of the volcano, and then you ride bikes down. Oh, it's just incredible experience uh, and the, the scenery on so your way down. Were you actually in Hilo uh, Volcano National Park? Uh, I'm not sure. Is is Haleakala National Park the same? I'm not sure. I I know I don't know because I only know it as, you know, Hilo National Park. And if there's another piece or another park, then, you know, maybe I was there, but it didn't realize it was a different place. Um, It's a wonderful place to go, people. And by the way, um, you used to have to go over this god-awful, unpaved, bumpy, dusty, gravelly, took-you-forever road. Um, yep. and they paved it. <laughs> so, um, that, oh, cut, they did? that cut a lot of time. Yeah. And, um, the first time we went, it's interesting that you say you got up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning. We were in Kona, which is the, you've got two airports you can fly into Kona or Hilo. Hilo is the smaller one and it's on the side of the island that rains. That's why the rainforest is there. 
uh, where the volcano is. The other side of the island is Kona, where it's, it tends to be more arid and you know more sunny, dry days and whatnot, and um, and less vegetation and a whole lot of fields of of lava everywhere you go. In fact, the graffiti is done by placing white stones on top of the black lava. That's the lava oh, wow. fields. You drive along the road from Kona Airport to where the the hotels are, and then if you keep going, you'll eventually get to Hilo a couple hours later. But it started with the people making the road. Um, we have to take a quick break. My goodness, we'll be right back. Don't leave me. It's travel with Stephanie Abrams. I'm talking with Trent Romer, who has written a book called Finding Sustainability. It'll come out June 2021. And um, it's a combination of what he has been learning for his family business that was started by his grandfather and um, what he's learned in the business what he's learned in the industry of manufacturing products in plastic and what he has been learning about making plastic compostable so it will break down, be recyclable, be reusable, and not just be a glut on the planet. And in doing that, has visited a lot of places. And we were just talking in the last segment about his visit to Hawaii, um, to the and the big island of Hawaii, and um, I was mentioning about the graffiti along the roadway when the men were building the road from the airport that leads along parallel to the ocean, and on the right side it's just fields and fields of black lava laying there for however long. And then on the left side is where all the hotels are. And those are lush and green because the landscapers at the hotels have planted every one of those trees, shrubs, bushes, and flowers. And um, the men wanted to, in their, you know, to break the boredom of building this endless road, um, they would take white stones and do things like make a heart shape and put in it, you know, Mike loves Lisa. You know, that kind of thing. They would do their graffiti along the side of the road using white rocks on top of the black lava. It's very cool. But if you went to Hilo National Park, um, you can actually stand in the same spots where uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, the author who lived in the Hawaiian Islands and in the Pacific for so long, um, where and uh, there are rocks big like boulders with, with brass plaques engraved with quotations of their comments about what it was like standing there, uh, which were lifted from literature that they wrote. Also, there's one, uh, Mark Twain. Um, and, and imagine in the 1800s, which is when they would have been going, um, imagine uh, Mark Twain uh, from his book, 
um, I think it was from his book, Innocence Abroad, um, his commentary about standing in the spot and looking out at the crater, and you're looking at the same thing. I mean, that's the ultimate in sustainability. That, you know, you're looking at a scene that looks identical to 100, 200, 300 or more years ago. But, and, and so, you know, we have some obligation. Um, there is a whole sector uh, of the travel industry devoted to sustainability. And an organization called Tourism Cares that not only dives in uh, by um, spearheading fundraising when there's a tsunami or a hurricane or an earthquake in some touristic destination, and just about every destination has something of touristic value. So we're always raising money to help and send people. Uh, you know, people like general managers of hotels and people that work in the travel industry will take time off from their work and fly to a destination to pitch in, you know, after some colossal mess has happened in that destination to help bring things back to normal. But we've got another situation here, uh, and that is that all of us have an opportunity to be able to participate in sustaining the earth so we don't become one big garbage dump. Um, we've got about half a minute. Do you have some closing message you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would. So um, packaging is not going away. It's going to double in the next 20 years. And by far, the best, pro the best thing to do is to reduce. I mean, that is number one. You want to reduce and you want to repurpose. If you actually do need a package, you want to look for something that's bio-based, you know, made from uh, renewable energy sources. You want to look for something that has recycled content, or you want to look for something that may be compostable at the end of, uh, end of life or recyclable at the end of life. So you just want to choose the best packaging, but that really applies to everything. Clothes, you know, everything really can fit under this umbrella. Well, people. Thank you. And, and when you're going traveling, bring along a shopping bag, fold it up in your rollerboard, so that you always have your own packaging to carry away your purchases and that you can reuse. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, all of you, come back next week. This is Stephanie Abrams. We're flying high.